to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of the Crown against Hilton, and the citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 29. This case has its origins in the conviction of a serious benefits fraudster from Belfast. Bernadette Hilton was convicted of the offences under the Social Security Administration Northern Ireland Act 1972, back in 2015, and a request was made to the Crown Court that a confiscation order be made so that the authorities could recoup the money that had been lost. The judge agreed to make the order and set the amount at £10,263.50, which was equivalent to Hilton's share of the matrimonial home, which she owned with her former partner. This was appealed and she was successful before the Northern Ireland Court of Appeal due to a procedural anomaly. According to that court, Section 160A2 of the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002 required that when the confiscation order was made, anyone who holds an interest in the property, i.e. Ms Hilton's former partner and the building society, ought to be given an opportunity to make representations on whether a confiscation order should be made and how much it should be made for. The failure to do that in this case was fatal to the order, and so it was therefore considered invalid. Unsurprisingly, the Director of Public Prosecutions disagreed with this and appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. For the judgment itself, it became necessary to get into the precise wording of the legislation. While sections 156 and 163b get into the making of a confiscation order, it is 160a that the case centred on. Subsection 1 tells us that where another person has an interest in the property in question, the court may determine the extent of the defendant's interest at the time the order is made. Subsection 2 then goes on to say that the court must not exercise the power in subsection 1 unless it gives other persons who have an interest in the property an opportunity to make representations. Finally, subsection 3 notes that any determination by the court under section 160a with regards to the defendant's interest in the relevant property, is conclusive. At first glance, these subsections, and in particular the opportunity to make representations under subsection 2, appear to favour the arguments made by Ms Hilton, but the Supreme Court pointed out that what is envisaged by the legislation is a two-stage process. The first step is the making of the confiscation order, and the second step is the enforcement of that order. When we now go back and reread section 160a, the word determination takes on a new importance. The question in the context of this case becomes whether in this first stage of making the order, the court made a determination of Hilton's interest in the property. If a determination is not made, then the court is not mandated to allow other interested parties to make representations. The reasoning behind this is because there will be another opportunity to make representations at the second stage. This is confirmed by section 199.8 of the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002, which tells us that a court may not order enforcement unless those with an interest in the property are given a reasonable opportunity to make representations. In a wider sense, this also fits with the intention behind the legislation, because If Parliament had considered otherwise, then there would be no need for two separate opportunities for those with an interest in the property to state their case. Section 160A is not final, 
because it has backup in the form of section 199.8. This is where the Court of Appeal went wrong. They felt that every time that third-party interests arose, there had to be an opportunity to make representations. Unfortunately, this would undermine the legislation as it would have the effect of combining the two stages into one. On a practical level, this would be unfortunate because whereas at the moment the making of a confiscation order is an almost automatic process, if everything were rolled into one hearing, then it would be very time-consuming as that hearing would have to compose everything from the investigation to the determination and also the representations by third parties. Parliament wanted to streamline the process and the decision by the Court of Appeal would throw a spanner in the works, and so the Supreme Court found in favour of the Director of Public Prosecutions. I think the starting point for us is to note that this isn't really a loss as such for Hilton. Ultimately her aim was to ensure that other parties with an interest in the relevant property were able to have their say, and this was something confirmed by the Supreme Court. It is just that this particular step can take place during either the first or the second stage. Of course, in practical terms, this is a loss because Hilton wanted the confiscation order to be declared invalid. That will not happen, and it is likely that enforcement will now follow this judgment. As for the decision itself, this is a lesson in interpretation. If a person, whether they are a lawyer or otherwise, were to read section 268 of the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002 on its own, then I think that it is perfectly reasonable to come to the conclusion that other persons with an interest in the property must be consulted before a confiscation order is made. However, the lead judgment from Lord Kerr points us in a different direction. It is not enough to simply read one section and make a decision based on that alone, without at least understanding some of the context. Looking at the Act as a whole, we get a fuller understanding of not only the procedure, but also what was intended by Parliament. By doing this, we end up with a result that not only stays true to the legislation, but also provides a practical solution as well. As was noted in the judgment, if the making and enforcement of confiscation orders were both pulled in together, then this would make the process overly cumbersome, and I think that this is something that the Court of Appeal should have had in mind. There are continual pressures on lower courts, and part of the burden comes from administration. Some judges further up the hierarchy would do well to be more mindful of the challenges faced by their colleagues. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, you can download my free ebook about answering problem questions if you are a student and struggling with that area or just need an extra bit of advice, and you can download that from uklawweekly.com, where you can also sign up for my mailing list. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye! <laughs>